Let's worship our God this morning with our hearts. He rejoices when we do that.
Have a seat, please. At this point in the service, we have a very special event that's happening. We are going to be inducting Armando Cavero as an elder of the congregation. And uh, it's actually been uh, almost 10 years since he and his wife, Karen, and their daughter, uh, Danielle, and son, Mateo, first showed up here. It was in June of 2013. And it wasn't long after that that they had plans to become members of the church to formally identify with us. So I did some studies with them just so that they would know what our church believed and had some wonderful sessions. And I said, okay, this guy, he's not just going to be a normal member. I've got some plans for him in the future. I didn't realize I was that slow. It took 10 years <laughs> for it to happen. So, uh, Armando, I have some questions to ask you, so I'm going to ask you to come stand beside me. And then uh, you are going to play a part in this as well. There's going to be a part where I ask the congregation their uh, support for uh, Armando. Let me move over here. And then the, ordin the uh, laying on of hands will take place here uh, on this, in front of the stage. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and your answer is, with God's help, I will. That God has spoken graciously through his church, calling you to tend his sheep, and you are being asked to assume the responsibilities of shepherd, overseer, and elder. And will you serve Jesus Christ as your Lord? With God's help, I will. Will you teach and model the gospel of Christ? With God's help, I will. Will you ensure the healthy teaching that strengthens the Lord's people? With God's help, I will. Will you guide patiently and prayerfully? With God's help, I will. Will you rely on the Spirit of God as you equip the church for acts of faithfulness? With God's help, I will. And will you faithfully disciple those that the Lord has put under your care? With God's help, I will. And will you pray for us when we are sick, minister to us when we are hurting, and rejoice with us when we are blessed? With God's help, I will. Two more questions. We're almost there. <laughs> will you work in harmony with your fellow shepherds and with the church? With God's help, I will. And will you be great among us by serving as Christ did? With God's help, I will. Amen, Armando. I'm going to ask. So now this is a pledge of support from the congregation. Now, church, we are confessing our belief that God has called Armando to be a shepherd of our congregation. And our actions from this for point forward ought to reflect that belief. And it requires commitment on our part. So it's the same answer that he gave for all of his questions. I only have four for you, okay? Will you follow Armando in service for the sake of Christ? Will you be respectful of his leadership and imitate his faith? Will you support him in prayer? And will you do all this knowing that it pleases the Lord and shows the world the perfection of his ways? Amen. So now I will ask the other elders to join us. So Armando, down on your knees.
You do a lot of praying, so this isn't anything new. Yes. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for Armando's commitment to this role, his life uh, going forward, as well as this congregation will change. First, Lord, I want to pray for his, that he has the heart and the mind of a disciple maker. Lord, you need to give these to him. He's already expressed his desire to be a disciple maker, but now he needs the tools that come from you. Lord, your final instructions to the apostles were to make disciples of all nations and then to teach them everything that you have commanded. Father, help Armando see everybody, whether they're new to him or not, to see everybody the way you see people, mm -hmm. worth dying for, so that he can then lead them to a closer walk with you. And then, Father, once someone has made the decision to walk with you, it's a lifelong pursuit to learn how to live the Christian life. Give him the mind of a disciple maker that he would know how to instruct them in their daily living, to know how to put the, the, the various aspects of our faith at work in our daily lives. Lord, for many people, this is a hard thing. But for an elder to teach others is a great joy. Fill his heart with joy as he leads others to bring the kingdom of you into their lives so that all their decision-making, all their choices, everything they think, everything they do is steeped in you. Lord, he needs to have your mind. He needs to have your heart, a heart of compassion. He needs to be able to make the commitment to be able to give people the time that is necessary because each person is discipled in a unique, uh, in a unique way. So, Lord, give him all the tools he needs Help him to see what he needs to see and fill him with joy as he takes on this wonderful task. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Father, as an elder, one of the things that Armando is going to be called upon to do is to counsel others. Mm -hmm. uh, Father, to give them uh, advice, to help them see the way to know what to do. And so, Father, for Armando... I pray that you would help him to be like our wonderful counselor, Jesus, that he would be more like him every day. And Father, I pray that as he um, pursues becoming like Jesus, the wonderful counselor, God, that the word would continue to play a more and more important role in his life. God, that he would recognize that it is true. And Father, that he would be able to point others to it. And as he counsels others, Father, I pray that when he looks at them, that he will see someone who bears your image. Father, somebody who's known, who's valued, who is loved by you. And Father, someone that you have sent uh, to Armando, that you are bringing into his path to guide them in the right way. Mm -hmm. And so, Father, I pray that as he counsels people, that you would give him um, wisdom. God, that you would give him the ability to listen well and to know and discern what to do. And Father, that as he counsels them, 
that he would guide them into what is true and what is good. And Father, that he would point them to you, that they would find their hope in you. And Father, that they would be um, guided well through coming to Armando. And so Father, we just pray uh, for him as he will counsel and guide others and that you would be glorified through all that he does. We pray this in Jesus' beautiful name. And Lord, uh, your son Amando has answered your call because this calling is not of man, but of you, Lord. Uh, you are the great teacher, Lord. Um, there is no greater joy than to sit at your feet and uh, uh, hear from you, listen to you, learn from you, Lord. Uh, we pray that uh, even as you have uh, sent Amando on this task, Father Lord, as an elder, one of the main tasks is uh, teaching. And that uh, you, the great teacher, will continue to be his teacher. And what he receives from you, Father Lord, he will pass on to those that, Father Lord, you have directed to him, Father. And Lord, uh, we know that um, he is already a good teacher, but um, no one can best you. And so you, that is the utmost, the highest teacher, Father Lord, continue to feed him with that that he needs, Lord. You've already given him talents, Lord. Father Lord, give him more. Father Lord, we also know that he's already leading small groups. He will actually, Father Lord, teach those small groups, Father Lord, and they will branch out, and other groups will be formed from those groups. All by your doing, Lord. All of your doing, Lord. Father Lord, uh, this task that he has been given is no small task. Uh, he has a family of his own. We pray that even as you continue to lead him, Father Lord, you continue to provide the comfort for that family, to support him in this task, Father Lord, that he has accepted to do, Father Lord. He has laid his hands on the plow. He will not look back, Lord because you will continue to be with him. You continue to be his helper. You continue to be his supporter. You continue to be his strength, and you continue to be his courage. And all the glory and honor and adoration will be to you and to you alone, Lord. In Jesus' name I have prayed. Amen. Father, we just praise you so much for not only the joy of being in relationship with you, but the joy of being able to be in a church that is set aside for worship and fellowship and prayer. And Father, we also realize that in order to have our own congregations, we need spiritual leadership. And we want to thank you for bringing Armando and Karen and their children to Canada. We thank you for the fact that they so quickly found us at Halifax Christian Church and, and just fit right into our congregation. And Father, I thank you for the leadership qualities that you have placed in Armando. And we look at Jesus as the example in all of this, and it was never forcing anything upon anybody, but it was always leading by example. And Father, I pray that he will continue to do that because I know he is already demonstrating those leadership qualities through uh, ministries that he's involved in. And now we pray that that will just continue to grow. And he has taken on a new responsibility of helping to lead this congregation. So guide him, Father, as he meets with our fellow elders, as we pray for the congregation, as we strategize, as we move into the future for you. And we just look forward, Father, to you empowering him as a leader so that he will guide us in that group and lead us to do great things for you. 
We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. As our number of elders grow, we need more and more prayers. We might have to set aside a separate service. <laughs> and thank you all for the part that you played in all of this and the support that you will give to Armando as he serves in this way. We are going through a book of First John together, and we're talking about what it means to walk as Jesus walked. And I want to begin by saying something that you probably don't hear in church, and it will go against something that some of you have been taught when you were growing up in Sunday school, but I think there's a lot of truth to it. And that's the fact that one of the most dangerous threats to the Christian faith is actually Christians who always want to be nice. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We don't want to offend people. We're scared to death of being referred to as intolerant. So we do our best to always be nice. Now, there was a preacher that was interviewed on TV, and, and he was a nice guy. And he was talking to the interviewer, and he said, well, in my message, I try to be positive. I don't use words like sin or sinner. And he doesn't want to be negative. Well, you'd better be negative about sin, shouldn't you? We look at things like cancer, and we want to be negative about cancer. So there's a part of us that understands that, and it doesn't seem nice to call people names. So we avoid words like sinner. And then it doesn't seem nice to confront someone and make them uncomfortable, so we don't say anything. We may see Christians who aren't even trying to be like Christ, and it doesn't seem nice to talk to them about hell. But one of the most dangerous threats to our faith as Christians is Christians who are just determined to always be nice. Do you think Jesus was nice? Now, I'm not asking if he was kind or compassionate because he was. We saw him with the guilty and the ashamed, and he was just amazing in the way that he dealt with them. And We saw different situations where he was moved to meet people's needs. He was with the hurting and the hungry. So I know that he was kind and compassionate. But what I'm asking is, was he always a nice guy to be around. And here's what the word nice means. It means pleasing and agreeable in nature. So you just never rock the boat. You never stir things up too much. You're just always pleasant to be around. So was Jesus nice? I'm not sure that he was just the nice guy. I'm not sure that he was always pleasing and agreeable in nature because he called people's names. He, he called the Pharisees a brood of vipers. And what about the time that he cast demons out of that guy and then cast the demons into a herd of pigs? Now, I grew up on a farm where I helped feed 200 pigs. And pigs are, are, are okay. And, but to see these pigs in this uh, story, they ended up running off a cliff and drowning. They were restored. So that's not a nice thing to do to those pigs. And what about the time that he cursed the fig tree? 
Who curses a fig tree? That's not a nice thing to do. And then one time he said to, to Peter, he said, get behind me, Satan. Now, I'm sure Peter was thinking, well, that's not a nice thing to call me. I, I had my grandson Seth with me one time. He was in the back seat and I was speaking to Siri and he yells out, hey, Siri, you're a loser. And, and this was the response. That's not a nice thing to say. And, and she was right. Well, she's a voice. But was Jesus kind and compassionate? Absolutely. Was he nice? Nice people probably don't get crucified on a cross. Now, what about John, who wrote this book? There are a lot of words that could be used to describe this man, but I wouldn't use the word nice. Jesus actually gave he and his brother James the nicknames of sons of thunder, and they came from fishing. They were rough guys. So the sons of thunder, that doesn't sound nice. Those aren't the guys that you want to meet in a dark alley. It sounds more like a World Wrestling Federation tag team or something. The sons of thunder are in this corner. But we go through this book and you'll hear the, this tone that isn't necessarily pleasing and agreeable in nature. But here's what we see in 1 John. He's loving. He's very kind, he's very tender, but then he says some things that aren't always pleasing. And we had a couple of examples last week. 1 John 2, verse 6. Whoever says that he lives in God must live as Jesus lived. So if you say that you're a Christian, you must walk as Jesus did. It doesn't mean that you're always going to get it right, but there are going to be areas in your life that are completely not out of alignment with what the Bible teaches. So if you say that you love him, if you call yourself a Christian, then you must walk as Jesus walked. So we say, okay, John, what if I believe in him and say I'm a Christian, but there are certain areas of my life that I'm not ready to turn over to him yet? Well, here's what John says in verse 4. Anyone who says, I know God, but does not obey God's commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. So he just comes right out and says it. If you're going around telling people, I'm a Christian and I'm following Jesus, but you're not doing what he commands, then he's saying you're blatantly living your life contrary to what the Bible teaches. So you're a liar. If you were really a Christian, you wouldn't be living that way. And remember, this isn't a call to be perfect, but rather a call that says, I am going to authentically align my life with what the Bible teaches. There will be mistakes along the way. I'm not going to get all the way there like Jesus did. But the effort is being made, and I'm on that road. The parents understand this. Sometimes the nice thing to do isn't the loving thing to do. And you have a choice. You can be loving or you can be nice. I was out at my daughter, son-in-law, and grandchildren's home a week ago Friday for dinner. And there was a ring, uh, the doorbell, and this little seven-year-old girl next door was there with her boxes of Girl Guide cookies. So James and Shannon bought one, and I bought one, and she put the money into a Ziploc plastic bag. Well, Jane watched that, and this is sort of her friend. So... After a while, she goes into the house, disappears. Jane's our five-year-old granddaughter. And she comes out with her plastic 
the shopping cart, and in the shopping cart, she has this little container with Pokemon cards in it, and then an empty plastic Ziploc bag. So she's going to make some money. And she starts down the neighborhood, and she's halfway up the driveway of a house four blocks, not blocks away, but four doors away, and her parents call her back. Well, she's mad. She pushes the little thing, and something falls out. She picks that up, puts it back in. She pushes the cart again all the way home, and then sits down at the end of the driveway with a big grimace on her face. So her parents were being like parents should be. They actually looked at what she was doing and realized that it wasn't right. It was going to get her in trouble. So they did the loving thing. They called her back. Now, her grandfather, he was nicer, and he invested 50 cents in her little business and came away with two Pokemon cards that I don't know what I'm going to do with. But here's what we see in John's words. He's coming from a heart of love. But what he says isn't always going to be pleasing or necessarily just what people want to hear. There's a lot at stake because what's happening at the church at that time and what's happening within the church at large today, we see people who are saying, I'm a Christian. In fact, they might even say, I go to a certain church and they will even give you the address. But they don't live lives that reflect Jesus at all. And that's not good for them. It's not good for the church because it's a poor reflection of Jesus Christ. And the other thing that was happening to the church and still happens today is that there were new Christians and he's writing to this first generation Christians and they've put their trust in Jesus Christ but then they're immediately confronted with this crossroads and they have to make a decision. One path of walking is to follow Jesus and walk as he walked. The other path is the world's path. And many of them are saying, well, yes, I believe in Jesus. I'm on this path. But in reality, they were on the world's path. So John wants to be really clear and mark out some paths so they know as new Christians, here's the path that Christ has called you to. Here's the path that he wants to lead you down. So we pick this up in verse 15 of chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Now the word world used here doesn't refer to the forces of nature or humanity. And John 3.16 says, God loved the world so much. So that means the people of the world. But the word world here is the idea of worldliness. And in the second half of verse 15, if you love the world... The love of the Father is not in you. So if you say that you love God, but in reality you're not following down the road that he is on and you're living for the things of the world, then he's saying that God really isn't living in you. Because as we're going to see what the world offers and values and all that its ways of doing things are in direct contrast to what God offers and what God values and what God has as his way of doing things. So John marks the two paths very clearly. 
Now, Jesus also spoke about two different paths, and he did this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He talked about this narrow path that leads to life, and he said that very few find it, and that's that path to eternal life. And then he goes on to say that there is a broad path that leads to destruction, and many people choose the broad one because it's crowded. There are all kinds of people there. It's easy to find that one. But then Jesus goes on to say in verse 14, But the gate is small, and the road is narrow that leads to true life, and only a few people find that road. So the question for us as we study 1 John is, what path are we on? What direction are you going in? What signs are you following? The path of worldliness or the path of following Christ? And I think some of us just kind of assume we're on that narrow path because that's where we started. That was our intention. But something happened along the way and we've gotten distracted and find ourselves living instead for the things of this world. And maybe you're not really on the path you started out on. And maybe you're following other paths and you're walking down them and hoping that surely this will come to something. So the question to be honest and ask yourself is, what path am I following today? What does the evidence of my life say? So John gives some roadmaps that sort of mark the broad path, this path of worldliness, so that we can recognize when we're on it. So it's in verse 16. These are the ways of the world. And then he's going to define worldliness for us. Wanting to please our sinful selves, wanting the sinful things we see, and being too proud of what we have. And then John says, None of these come from the Father, but all of them come from the world. Now, some of you may have learned these three signs of worldliness in the King James translation, and they're referred to as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And he says these three things tend to mark that broad path, and they lead to destruction. To help us remember them, I want to capture them in these three words. And the first word is pleasure, and that is the lust of the flesh. Then there are possessions, which is the lust of the eyes. Everything we see with our eyes, we want, and we always want more. And then there is pride, and that's where we make ourselves the center of everything in our lives. It all revolves around me. Now, we need to note that in and of themselves, pleasure and possessions aren't bad things. God has given us the gift of pleasure. He has given us the gift of food. He has given us the gift of sexual intimacy within marriage. But if pleasure becomes the path that drives their life, if that's what you're thinking about when you get up in the morning, and that's what you're still thinking about before you fall asleep at night, then you're no longer following Christ. And this is a problem. That has become a false god in your life. So possessions can be a blessing from God, but when possessions or material things of this world become what we live for, become what motivates us and gets us going, then that means we're on the wrong path. And John uses a really interesting word to help us understand when it goes from being a blessing from God to actually replacing God in our lives. I'm going to use this word a few times, and I'm going to pronounce it differently every time, probably, just like I do with some of your last names. But, so, uh, epithumia 
is the word that is talked about here in Greek, and it literally means hyper-desire. So when John speaks about the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, that word that's translated lust in the New Testament is almost always this word. So if your hyper-desire in life is pleasure or possessions, or if it's all about you, then that is the path of worldliness, and that's that broad path that's going to lead to destruction. So just think for a moment about the culture that we live in. I don't think that anything has changed from when Jesus was here. Pleasure is the epithumia of the people in our world. It's the path that we're pointed to from the time we're young. It's everywhere. It's on TV. It's in movies. It's in the Internet. It's in music. It's their hyper-desire in life. And what about possessions? We're exposed to thousands of commercials every day. I like to exercise with a bike in the basement during the winter months. And there's a great spot there where I can put my cell phone and I can watch TSN and get the reports from the sports the night before. But the commercials that you have to bike through each time, and then you go and watch another report, and it's the same commercials over and over again. So we have these not-so-subtle messages saying, look, this is how you know if you're on the right path, if you're driving the right car, if you live in the right house, if you go on vacation to the right places. That is all this stuff that tells us that we are rooted in pride. It's where my life becomes just about me making me happy. So John says, let's look and see what path you're on. If that's what you're pursuing in life, it's time and money. If that's what you're giving your life to, then he says, please stop calling yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're not following him, but following the things of the world, then we can't use that title. So in verse 17, he said, the world and everything that people want in it, so that's pleasures, possessions, and pride, are passing away. They're not going to last because you're going down a dead-end road. But the person who does what God wants, so that's the will of God, lives forever. And the will of God is used in a couple of different ways in Scripture. First of all, it's used to say this is what is going to happen. This is God's providential will. But the term is also used when God has actually decreed that something has happened. That his wish, his desire is for something to happen. And there's still freedom in there for us to choose to follow that or not to follow it. And this is where we have our heart being directed. Is it directed to him or directed away from him? And John says, the person who does what God wants lives forever. So what path are you on? There are some of you who've gone pretty far down the broad path at some point, and then you realize, this isn't leading me where I went to go. And you got off that path, you got onto the narrow path, and you turned instead toward Jesus and eternity. We need to hear from you about that path that you were on. We need you to help others that are on the wrong path so that you can help get them off that, turn around, and come back toward Jesus Christ. 
Wednesday is Seniors Discount Day at Shoppers Drug Mart, so that's a great day for me. I haven't experienced that all the way from age 55. I was 61, and, and this young woman, she goes, are you 55? I said, yes. Well, you can get 20% off. So I've been charging in every day and saying, I come for Seniors Day because of the discounts. Well, Lawton's closed at 9 p.m. before the epidemic. And then after, or, well, during and after, they closed at 8. And my wife told me that. And I, I can never get there early in the evening or even through the day. It's always 8.30, 8.45. So I head out there about a year ago at that time. And my wife, Pat, said, I think they closed at 8. Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. And I get there, and sure enough, 8 o'clock is listed there as the time that they closed. So then I got on my phone and Googled the Lottons over at the top of Larry Utech. It says, open till 9. So I thought, I can still get my stuff. I rushed over there. I get to the door, closed at 8 p.m. So I'm getting a little annoyed at, at this point, And I head back toward my car. And then I see this other couple arriving in their car. And they're he heading towards the front door. And a little voice in me says, stop them. Tell them that the store is closed. Don't make them walk all the way to the door and back to their car. But I've dug in and I'm annoyed. And I'm, I'm not going to say anything to them. If I tell them that, then it lets them know that I made a mistake. And I thought that the store was still open until 9 p.m. So I, I just walk by them and don't even look at them. But that was all rooted in pride. And Jesus says, if that's the path that you're on, if that's what you're pursuing, it is time and money, then it's taking you down that wrong path. See, it's heartbreaking to see mothers and fathers not telling their sons and daughters about the mistakes that they made. And they're passing each other on the same road, and they're not stopping their kids from doing the same things that they did. And I love the fact that we have a multi-generational church. And those of us in my age bracket are now probably the older generation, 60s and 70s. I don't think we have anybody that's 80 in our congregation. But some of us have been down the broad path and know where it ends. And I know it's hard to do, but we need to say, hey, look, I've been where you are. I've done what you're doing. Let me show you or tell you what happens. Let me tell you where this leads. So don't just pass them on the road. Say something and help turn them around. And I would want to say something to the younger generation. You guys need our wisdom. And because some of you are in college or maybe just out of college, and I get it, you feel good about the path you're on because everybody else is on that path. But... I'm asking you to stop for a moment and listen to some of the wisdom of the people in your life who've already been down that path that you're on. And when they stop you and try to speak into your life, they're not, I'm trying not to look over here at all the college or just at a college age, but they are doing this because they love you and it's not at a spite or anything like that. So John mentions these two paths and he uses some pretty strong language here. So we're now in verse 18. Dear children, so he starts off kind of nice, but then he calls them antichrists. The last hour is here. 
You have heard the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. These people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. But you were not like that, for the Holy One has given you his spirit, and all of you know the truth. So I am writing to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies. And who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ, anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either. But anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So you must remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will remain faithful with the Son and the Father. And in this fellowship, we enjoy the eternal life he promised. John's actually the only writer in the New Testament that used the word Antichrist. And we normally think of it as capital A. And people are trying to figure out, you know, is it a certain person, a world leader? Or, or is it a country and the things that they do that actually are letting us know who the Antichrist is? But that's not what he's talking about here. He's explaining that these are people who called themselves followers of Jesus Christ but aren't living in a way that reflects Christ. So he refers to them as antichrists. They're not just sinners, but he's saying they're antichrists because the path they're on is the opposite direction of what God wants them to be on. When the Apostle Paul was in prison in Rome the last time, he had actually written books on his previous uh, incarcerations. So he was now finishing up his last book. And he talked about a guy named Demas who had been helping and encouraging him. And we don't find anything else about this man. But then this last time that Paul's in Rome, he's writing the final paragraph before he's going to be killed. And he writes it to Timothy. And Timothy's kind of like a partner with Demas. And he says this very short sentence. He says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. So his epithumia became this world and the things of this world. And we ask, how does that happen within the church? How does that happen to us? But if I'm to be honest, there have been times when I found myself going down that path where my desire had not been for Christ, but for the things of the world. You may be familiar with the Stockholm Syndrome, and experts have found that this is a common phenomenon, and in it, the hostage begins to develop affectionate feelings toward those who are holding them hostage, and they begin to transfer their hatred and ill feelings toward those who are trying to rescue them. So the term Stockholm Syndrome was coined in 1973 when a man in Stockholm, Sweden, robbed a bank and it didn't go well, so he took four hostages, three women and one man, and he held them as hostages. He absolutely terrorized them for 131 hours. He had a machine gun that he would shoot at them, never hitting them, but all around them. He would put nooses around their neck and threaten to hang them. But it was just constant terrorizing until the whole thing was resolved. But the thing that happened was 
The hostages ended up hating the police more than the hostage taker. And they said that they refused to testify against him. And one of the women actually became engaged to that hostage taker. So in the midst of the emotion and the adrenaline, here's what happens. They started to see the enemy as a friend. And they start to think that their rescuer is their oppressor. And I see that in my heart. I see that within the church, that Stockholm Syndrome, where we, without even realizing it, begin to confuse the enemy with our friend. And we begin to think that that rescuer is somehow our oppressor. And I know that sometimes when we're on the world's path and our epithumia becomes that promotion, it becomes a salary, it becomes that house, that car, that relationship, or even that sports team. It becomes our driving passion. But some of you are being held hostage by these things. And Jesus wants to set you free from your epithumia. Actually, it would be more correct to say that Jesus wants to be your epithumia. And he has come to be your hyper-desire, to be your driving passion. So he wants to replace all those things that you have put on the throne of your life instead of him. And he wants to be there. He wants to sit on that throne. Almost every time this word is used in the New Testament, it's used in a negative context because it's speaking about the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes. But there's actually one place where it's used differently. And Paul's in prison. His life is about to end. And he writes, I don't know what's better. Is it better for me to stay here on earth and continue to work for God here? Or is it better for me to go to be with Christ in heaven? And so we read this in verse 23 of Philippians 1. It is hard for me to choose between the two. I want to leave this life and be with Christ, which is much better. So my hyper desire, what I lust for, is just to be with Jesus. It's not the things of this world. He's saying, I just want to be with Jesus, to go there and be with him in heaven. That's my epithumia. And that's our prayer for you, that we would just stop and we would consider what path we're on right now. And if you're following a path that's marked with the things that John has talked about, the things of the world, then would you repent of that? And would you turn it back? And would you get on that narrow path that leads to eternal life? Would you make that your greatest desire? Spoon!
Have a seat, please. We base our worship on the New Testament pattern where we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that the new Christians, they met together for the apostles' teaching, and that's our preaching and teaching that we do here publicly. Uh, fellowship, that's the singing, our worship time, and also what we do through the week as a part of our life groups. The breaking of bread was another component, and that's the Lord's Supper, and we celebrate that each Sunday. And then prayer was the other aspect that they concentrated on. So if you're a guest with us today, and you have that epithumia that I talked about, that Jesus is your desire, then please take one of those cups and hold on to them. And I'm going to pray after I give you some time to reflect and we will take those together. But Jesus took a group of people that none of us, if we were gathering a group of leaders together, I wouldn't have been choosing Peter to be an elder of the church that I was lead pastor of. It would be somebody more like Armando. But they were people that Jesus was able to take and to, to mold and turn them into an amazing team that after he died, went back to heaven and the Holy Spirit came, they then took off and, and spread that word bravely. When before, when Jesus was crucified, they were hiding for fear that they were next. So I'm just going to give you a, a moment to reflect upon your relationship with Jesus, and is he your epithumia? Is he your hyper-desire? Let's pray. Father, we, we are just amazed at what you've done for us. 
when we examine our lives, we realize that we spend just a little too much time on that broad road that leads to, leads to destruction. Even though we've committed our lives to you, even though we are faithfully following you down that narrow path, there are times when we make decisions that appear as if we're on that other road. But Father, we thank you for the fact that your son came to establish that road for us. We thank you that he went to the cross dying as a perfect sacrifice and that you raised him back to life again on the third day after that. And now, because of our faith, we realize that we are on that narrow road. And our prayer is that you continue to empower us with your spirit and guide us as we walk down that road and move toward eternity with you. So Father, I just want to say thank you for this loaf and this cup that we are about to eat and drink today, which symbolize his body and his blood. And we ask your blessing on them. We pray in Christ's name, amen. So Jesus said, this is the new covenant. Excuse me, this is my body, which is given for you. Eat it in memory of me. And then he said, this is the new covenant of my blood, which is shed for the sins of many. Drink all of it. I need to see those two cards that you bought off of uh, the five-year-old to know whether the 50 cents you gave her was actually fair or maybe you ripped her off. Pokemon cards are expensive. But uh, we're just so glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. And uh, if you're new, we'd encourage you to stop by the Welcome Center on your way out, and you can fill out a Connect card. And that's just a great way to take your next step either in your relationship with Jesus or with the church. And if you're joining us online, you can go to halifaxchristianchurch.ca, and up at the top there's a Connect tab. And uh, one of the things we'll tell you about is Pizza with the Pastor, and that is happening uh, today. And so if you're new to us in the last month or so, you've probably been contacted about that. So that will take place uh, downstairs at 1230 after this service. Um, and maybe your next step is to begin to uh, to serve and engage in mission with Halifax Christian Church. And you can fill out a serve card at the Welcome Center, or you can also fill one out online. And for those of all the, you who consider HCC your home, we just uh, always to ask you to consider supporting HCC financially. And the way you can do that is through the offering box at the back, or you can do that online uh, through the Give tab up at the top. There's some electronic means. Now, uh, kids, husbands, this is your one-week reminder. Uh, Mother's Day is one week from today, so make sure you, you get out there early, get the card, get the gift, and be ready. And we want to help you uh, next week to celebrate that. And so one of the things we're going to do next Sunday is before and after the services, you'll have an opportunity uh, to come, have your photo taken professionally um, as a family, and uh, just to rem remember that. And, and mom will love that. So make sure you come and get your photo taken together uh, next Sunday before or after the service. Another thing we've been uh, talking about for the last few weeks and we've, we've sent out some information about is the uh, Leading the Charge Men's Conference that's coming up on June 3rd. And so if you want to know more information about that, you can speak with Greg or myself. You can contact the church office. And we just want to encourage you to register for that as soon as possible. 
uh, so that we can know how many uh, people are going to be going over for that. And for the ladies, you have not been forgotten either. Uh, on May 26th, there's going to be the next uh, Art and Soul Night here at the church, and it's going to begin with a potluck at 6 p.m., and so there's a registration out in the cafe or at the Welcome Center if you'd like to take part in that. And so uh, the team's going to lead us out, but I'd ask that you'd bow with me before they do. Father God, I thank you for the chance that we've had to be here uh, this morning and to worship you. And Father, I thank you that we've had time to, uh, to sing about your goodness and sing about your love and what it is that you've done for us in Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you that we've had time to sit under uh, your word and to look and, and compare our lives to the word. How, how, do, how do we live? Does it line up to the, the way that Jesus lived? Are we following his example? And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to, to do that through the power of your spirit. And, Father, as Greg challenged us, I pray that we would look at what is the most important thing in our life. What is it that we desire most? And, Father, if it isn't your son, I pray that we would uh, take the steps to make him what we desire most. Father, I thank you that we were able to, uh, to see Armando become an elder here this morning. And we just give you praise for that. And we thank you for the work that you're going to do through him. But Father, as we know that you don't, uh, you don't just call certain people to be uh, your, your workers, certain people to be your representatives, but you've called us all to be your representatives. And so regardless of who we are or what title or position we might hold, I pray that if we are a disciple of Jesus, that we would realize that it is our, our mission. It is the, the work that your son gave us to help other people know about him, to be in relationship with him, that he would become their desire and their lives and their eternity would be changed through that. And so as we go, help us to accomplish this. Help us to see opportunities and help us to be a church that brings you glory. We pray this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Excellent. Join us on our last song. And Armandito, qué bendición, what a blessing. Felicidades otra vez. Congratulations. Before he spoke creation, the God of heaven knew our names. And forming his reflection, you are his glory on display. And his heart is good, he's always kind. The cross he proved, he's on my side. We are the sons, we are the daughters of God. No matter where we go, we're close to the Father's heart. And stumble he will not let us fall we are the lords and he will never forsake his own we are the sons we are the daughters of god 
His love He lavished on us and called us children of the King. And in His love and kindness, He chose the lonely and the His heart is good, He's always kind, with the cross He proved, He's on your side. We are the sons, we are the daughters of God.